guys were freaking out. Like, what's going on? Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word goes forth unhindered even when a dummy like me forgets to turn my microphone on. I pray, God, that your word would do its work tonight in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. The Holy Spirit would be here ministering to each and every one in exactly the way that we need, applying these words, these living words of God to our lives in a way that'll change us and make us more like Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. Amen, go ahead and be seated. Sorry about that. Do I need to read the text again or did, was I a loud enough preacher voice that you could hear? It was good, it was fine. <laughs> Sorry about that. That means the, uh, the two viewers on YouTube right now did not get to hear the sermon text. Four viewers currently. Oh boy, we got it's a big night tonight, guys. <laughs> I'm nervous now. <laughs> Sorry, my, our friends at home, love you guys, thanks for tuning in. All right. Let me scoot this up a little bit. I wanna be closer to y'all. So, we picked up in Romans chapter six, verse eight tonight, meaning that what we looked at last week, if you weren't here, I'll just fill you in a little bit. We looked at the first seven verses of this chapter. And in particular, we looked at how they continued to sort of hammer home to us that beautiful truth that we are united with Christ. In fact, the, the title of my sermon last week was UWC, which stands for Union with Christ. The whole, the thing that I wanted you to take away more than anything else is that when you use these labels for yourself, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm an evangelical, whatever it is that you say, you label yourself, really what that's getting at underneath it all is that you are a man or a woman who is in Christ. You're united to him. And the first few verses that we read tonight was kind of a, a rehearsal of that. It was once again repeating a lot of the truths that we talked about last week. That, just a reminder for you, if, if you're in Christ, you are united to him in death. That is the death he died to sin, as our text said tonight, the death he died to break the power of sin, that's true of you now too. Sin has no dominion over you. And the resurrection life when he rose again from the dead, that's true of you as well. Not only for the future resurrection that you can look forward to, but the fact that you walk in newness of life and the power of the Holy Spirit today. You are no longer under the dominion of sin. You walk in his newness of life. So last week, I preached about that. We sang about that. One of the songs that Jordan actually sort of changed between the morning service and the evening service was a song that just fit what I was trying to say perfectly. We sang it out loud. Even I, I felt like after our time together, we stuck around and we just sort of reveled in that truth that we're united to Christ. But here's what happened next. We had to go home. We had to go back to the busyness and the cares of the world. And for many of us, we found ourselves not living as people united to Christ, that is dead to the power of sin and alive in the resurrection. We found ourselves walking 
and the same old sins and the same old patterns. How? How is that possible? How is it possible that some of us found ourselves during the week with God-given opportunities for compassion and generosity that just dropped into our lap and instead of taking him up on that, we decided to hoard our wealth or look out for ourselves and our own comfort? How is it that some of us found ourselves midweek alone with our phone or our computer searching for pornography? How is it that some people went to a Bible study or a small group or a gathering instead of using that time to build people up with their words, they use that time to gossip and slander and tear people down? Far from speaking the truth in love that we're told is our calling in Christ. How is any of that possible if we are people that are united to Christ? Isn't that what the text last week told us? Or even the beginning of the one that we read this week? Not that you might be united with Christ if you try hard enough, or that your union with Christ is gonna gradually get better and better. No, you are in him now, meaning you are dead to the power of sin, you are alive to the power to walk in his newness of life. How is it that we continue to struggle so much? And we continue to live seemingly under the dominion of sin still. For some folks, that leads them to think that union with Christ is not enough. There's something lacking in it. And that's why we keep gossiping and looking out for our selfish interests. For other people, they think that this just proves something that I tried to kind of push back on last week in the sermon, and that is, they say union with Christ, ah, it's just an idea. It's just a nice thought, but it doesn't, it's not really real in the way that affects our lives. But of course, Paul in the book of Romans doesn't seem to be satisfied with either of those solutions to the problem And if we were to say that union with Christ is either lacking or just an idea, it would be going against the grain of what God's word actually teaches. So then what is the solution to the fact that a people that are dead to sin still continue to sin? Well, my understanding of it is that it means that we struggle mightily with being who we are. being who we actually are in Christ. In Christ, you are dead to sin. The power of sin is broken in your life. You are alive to righteousness with the power of the Holy Spirit motivating and driving you. That is who you are. So the calling of this passage is be who you are. Now, I hope you're not, that statement, be who you are, that very easily could be put on bumper stickers across the United States with people that, that what they mean by it is like, be true to yourself, whatever your personality type is. You know, wh- whatever your temperament is, the, the solution to your life is just be true to that inner you. That's not what I'm trying to say here. 
the who you are that I'll reference a lot this evening is who you are in Christ. One united to his death and united to his resurrection and life. So just a clarifier there. Now, this, uh, this idea of being who we are is something that as I realized this week, I was trying to sort of capture this. <laughs> uh, I was helped most by remembering the old film version of The Count of Monte Cristo. Anybody ever seen that? It's a movie poster up here. Which, oddly enough, I don't know if they changed the casting at some point, but that really looks like Antonio Banderas. What's that? Seriously, that's, I, I think that's because Guy Pierce and Jim Caviezel so I'm thinking that maybe Antonio was supposed to be in it, but then he got taken out, but then they had already made all the promotional material. <laughs> or else it's just an interesting picture of uh, Jim Caviezel. But anyways, that's beside the point. That's not what I'm trying to get at here. What I want to remind you of is this scene in the film version of Count of Monte Cristo where Mercedes, who is not pictured on the film poster, but it's, uh, it's the Count's love interest in the film, his one true love. And at this one point in the movie, she, she barges into his rooms, these, uh, this opulent estate-like room that is just huge. It's got a four-poster bed covered in linens and silks. It's got tapestries and fine rugs, ornate furniture. It is opulent. And when she barges in to confront the count, she can't find him. He's not on the furniture. He's not asleep in the bed. She doesn't see him at all until she, she figures out where he is. He's sleeping on the floor in the corner of the room with just a single blanket to cover him. If you're familiar with the story, you know the reason why that is is because the count, formerly Edmund Dantes, had been unjustly accused of a crime and thrown into a dungeon, the Chateau d'If. And there he spent a huge portion of his life confined to a tiny little stone cell where he slept on the floor, this hard stone floor, every night with one tattered blanket. That was his life for 14 years. And so even though now he is free, he is rich, he's got wealth beyond imagining, he still sleeps on the floor. And in the film, Mercedes doesn't say this, but she very easily could have said, what are you doing? This isn't who you are anymore. You're not a prisoner anymore. You don't have to sleep on the floor. I think that our struggles with sin, our continuing struggle with sin, doesn't have to do with a deficiency in our union with Christ. And it doesn't have to do with the fact that union is just some idea that has no practical import. No, the issue is that we struggle with being who we are, or in other words, we continue to sleep on the floor even though we don't have to anymore. And because it's a pattern, that we're used to, because it's a rut that we're familiar with, because it's a habit that was part of our former way of life, we go back to it so easily, and yet we don't have to. That doesn't have dominion over us anymore. 
And yet just on autopilot, we keep going back because it's what we knew. I uh, said earlier that this idea of not sleeping on the floor or being who you are, so to speak, it's suggested at in the text, but it's, it's not actually directly said. There's at no point where Paul says anything about sleeping on the floor in Romans 6, so just so you know that. He, he didn't reference the, uh, the Antonio Banderas uh, miscasting of Count of Monte Cristo, just so you know. But he does hint at it all over the place through the commands that are given in this text. It's the only way to make sense of the various imperatives, that is, commands that we find all throughout chapter 6, 8 through 14. So up here on the screen, I've just got a few more uh, for you guys showing y'all what exactly, I think, there we go. So here are the commands or the imperatives that are in this passage that we saw. Verse 11 says this, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Verse 13, do not present yourselves or your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. None of that makes sense coming right on the heels of somebody saying, hey, guess what, guys? You are dead to sin. It has no power over you anymore. This following right on the heels of that is just weird and strange and hard to understand. It'd almost be like me standing up here and telling you guys, great news, everyone. You can no longer get sick anymore. Hooray. But then right after I say that, I say, hey, but don't forget to wash your hands. You don't want those germs making you sick, do you? That would be absurd. Josh, you just told us that we can't get sick anymore. Why do I need to be careful and about washing my hands? And in the same way, hey, guess what, everybody? Last week I preached a whole 30 minutes on the fact that sin does not reign over you anymore. Hey, but guess what? Don't let sin therefore reign in your mortal body. These things don't make any sense unless we think about them in the context of this call to be who we already are, to in a sense embrace the thing that's most true about us in Christ. So let's just use that verse 12 for an example. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. You heard it last week, you heard it in the verses, you heard it in my preaching, that you are in Christ, you have become dead to sin. That means the power of sin is broken in your life. It has no dominion over you anymore. Therefore, there is a very real sense in which sin cannot reign in your mortal body. It's impossible. Sin cannot reign over you. However, you could live as if it still did. You could pretend like it still did. You could go through all the motions and the pantomimes of it reigning over your mortal body, even though it's not true of you anymore. That could still happen. And to come back down here to verse 13, it talks about not presenting your members, which we're gonna define tonight as all the constituent parts of a person. 
So that is, you know, the parts of my body, but also parts of my personality, my mind, my thoughts, all the things that make up me. I'm not gonna present those things to sin. And even though I'm not under the reign of sin, I could continue to present them as if I was, falling back into those old habits, even though they don't have dominion over me anymore. To use sort of the metaphor that we've used already, so be in being in the Count of Monte Cristo suites, in the palatial, luxurious Victorian suite, and choosing to sleep on the floor, even though the giant, luxurious feather bed is right next to me. I know that it's one thing to say, be who you are, one thing to say, uh, embrace your union with Christ. It's a totally other thing to do it. It's easier said than done. And so what I wanna do for the rest of this evening is talk about some of the, some of the assistance we get from the word and actually being true to this and actually beginning to be who we are in Christ. There's some practical helps that we get from this text right here. And I wanna share those with you in the back half of the time that I have. So Brad, could you push it to the next slide? The first thing I want you to see is about authority. And if we kinda had to put a tag on this, it'd be this. We need to put the passions in their place, or maybe I should have said this instead, put our passions in their place. Verse 12, we, we've referenced a little bit already, but we haven't read the back part of it. The back part says to make you obey its passions. What that reminds us is that when we fall back into the old patterns of sin and the old dominion of sin, what we are effectively doing is giving the passions control of our lives. Passions here we're gonna define as your desires, your wants, sometimes, not all your emotions, but sometimes it includes like a portion of your emotions. And what you're doing when you fall back into the old patterns of sin is like you're taking the keys of the car and you're giving them to your desires and saying, you drive, I'll just sit in the back seat. You take me where you wanna go. Previously, that was a necessity. When we were under the dominion of sin, before Christ saved us, excuse me, before Christ saved us, our passions had to control us. We had no other option. But now, in Christ, that is far from the case. And one of the most powerful tools you have as a believer is to step back for a second from yourself and say, wait a second, Who's in charge here? Is it my emotions, my desires, my wants, my passions? Or is it something else? So, example from my own life. A few weeks ago, um, I received some criticism that really stung. It wasn't personal, but I took it personally. You guys know how that goes, right? Somebody says, hey, this isn't personal. <laughs> it is to me. <laughs> And so when that happened, I had all these passions stirred up. It was just a, just a glorious Saturday I was rolling into. It was pretty outside. I was gonna do some yard work and then this hit and I was like, oh my word. All this is stirred up. 
And some of those passions weren't bad in themselves, like disappointment, it's not bad, or even fairness, the desire to be treated fairly, those aren't bad things. And yet some of the passions that were stirred up were bad things. My pride, my self-righteousness, my desire to be vindicated somehow. And for the entire afternoon, I was driven by those things. I was in the backseat of the car and my pride was just driving down the highway. Where are we going? <laughs> I don't know. And, and it really was the case. My interactions with people that day were informed by that. My, the, my leisure activities, I did not mow the grass like I was intending to. <laughs> Why is that so funny, Joy? <laughs> I was derailed until later that evening. Thank you, Jesus. I was pulled into prayer. Very easily could have dodged that that day. And I'm sitting with the Lord in prayer and just sort of speaking out loud all that was on my heart, all these passions that were stirred up. And I feel like God in his grace, he gave me this picture of, of being able to kind of step back from myself for a moment and see, see Josh here but with these strings attached and with my pride and my resentments and my vindictiveness, just like a puppet master, just pulling, just making me dance. And the absurdity of seeing that, just the, the bizarreness of it was enough to kind of like rouse me and say, hey, this isn't true of me anymore. I'm not controlled by my passions, I'm in Christ. When he died, he cut the strings of those things. And that's not me anymore. And I, I still feel, uh, being a Christian doesn't mean a stoic where you don't feel any passion at all. No, you do. You feel desires, passions, wants, emotions. Yes, praise God we do, but we don't let them drive. Friends don't let friends let their passions drive. There's one thing you remember from this sermon, let it be that. That cheesy tagline. They don't drive. Christ does. Or maybe more accurately, you do with the power of Christ. And it's no accident that my personal story for this came while I was with God in prayer. It happens in prayer, it happens in meditating on the word, it happens in real Christian fellowship and community that you are able to sort of step back from yourself and ask that question, who's in charge here again? Is it my pride? Is it my vindictiveness? Is it my self-righteousness? No, it's Christ. So that's my first sort of pointing out a, a way to help us be who we are is that let's put the passions in their place. They're not in charge. Okay, so the next thing I wanna point out to you guys is, drum roll please, presentation. Be aware of what you are presenting yourself to. Be aware of what you are presenting yourself to. That awareness is gonna be important in a second. 
So verse 13 uses this language of presentation. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life. Uh, just at the most basic level, this is saying, hey, don't use parts of yourself to be instruments of sin and wrongdoing. Easy enough. But if we sit with this a little longer, you begin to realize that this language of presentation is reminding us that there's usually a long backstory before we get to the actual action of living in sin. There's a lot that sort of paved the way for, for it in advance. And that usually includes presenting ourselves to influences that kind of take us in that direction. Every day of your life, you are being inundated with influence and exposure and things that are shaping and molding you. The news you read, the conversations that you have with people. And you know, I want the whole person to be included here, so we'll even say like the exercises you do, I don't know, the podcast that you listen to, the, the music that's on the radio, the things you watch on television, all of it. It's like you are presenting the members of yourself to be influenced by that. And oftentimes the things that we present ourselves to are influences more from the old way, the way of the dominion of sin, than they are from the new way in Christ. So just this past week, I was sharing with a friend that um, I love reality television. Yeah. Like, I don't have cable, but if I did, I'd watch a lot of Bravo. Just saying. Now, the thing about reality TV is when people are kind and caring and forgiving, it makes for really boring reality TV. But when people are awful to each other and like they lie to each other and they gossip, that makes it really dramatic and kind of interesting, as hard as it is to say. That's when you wanna make your popcorn and just pull it up and be like, ooh, this is gonna get crazy. So after I had shared with that friend about that, I'm driving home and, I, and it just sort of struck me. I think in part because I was preparing this sermon, I was like, whoa, what, what I'm doing when I'm relishing the drama of reality TV is I'm in a sense just presenting myself, put, put, putting the parts of myself, my personality, my mind, my thoughts on a silver platter and just saying, here, gossip, slander, grudges, backbiting, all the things that make for the drama of reality TV. I'm just giving myself to just to be enraptured for whatever stretch of time. But tell me, could that have an effect on me being who I am in Christ? Put it this way, if you observe somebody sleeping on the floor all day long, don't be surprised if you find yourself sleeping on the floor too. And I wonder if some of the struggles that I've had personally with just using my words to build up rather than tear down, to speak the truth, I wonder if part of it's because there's been times where I've inordinately been presenting 
my members, my constituent parts of myself to things that are far from who I am in Christ. Now, let me be clear about what I'm actually suggesting here. Remember I told you a second ago that the be aware part is crucial because I'm not suggesting that we should all throw our TVs out the window or at least, you know, cancel our Bravo subscription. Not saying that. I'm still gonna watch reality TV. And I know you probably will too. Most of y'all pretended like you don't know what I'm talking about, but I know you do. I'm not saying that all you can ever see now is Kirk Cameron movies and all you can listen to is K-Love. No, I don't believe that that's true. And I don't believe that I can bind your conscience to do that. That would be being more strict than God actually is, which is never a good idea. What I'm telling you is to be aware, to know, to not just sleepwalk through the things that are influencing you, but actually think about it, be aware, be able to step back for a second and analyze what is it that's coming my way? What is it that's shaping me? What is it that is, is, is informing how I speak to people, how I think, how I talk? Be able to name it as opposed to just like a zombie just walking through and have it all sort of wash over you. And most importantly of all, that's why I included the back half of this verse. Look, it's not just do not present your members, but it's present yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth for death to life. And what I'm gonna take from that is that, okay, if I'm exposed, if I'm presenting myself to things that are representing the old way of life, I better make sure that I'm really exposing myself to things that call me to the new way of life. That for every reality TV show, there's 10 things that are showing me the things of God and what it looks like to speak the truth in love, what it looks like to forgive and to care. Somebody after the sermon this morning in paradise asked me, what does that look like to have more of that? It looks like what many of you guys have asked me, many of y'all have said, hey, I wanna be connected with an older believer in the faith that I can be around and just observe how they live. Observe how, if it's a guy, I wanna see how he treats his wife and how she treats her husband, how they speak to one another. Their war stories of times when they were so angry with each other, but they fought for forgiveness and reconciliation. They spoke hard truths and they embraced hard forgivenesses. It looks like using your time when you're listening to a podcast, saying, I, I, wanna, I wanna hear people talk about God's word and how it's active in their lives. It looks like being observant when you're reading the Bible of, of the way that people interact. How did Jesus talk to people? How did he interact with folks? And all of that is washing over you and giving you just as much influence, but this time influence towards what it looks like to be alive in Christ, as opposed to influence of what it looks like to be under the dominion of sin. In other words, if the pie chart of my attention is 80% bravo and 20% the things of God, I'm in trouble. I'm gonna be sleeping on the floor in no time. 
Last thing, and it's the conclusion, by the way. So give me just four more minutes of your, <laughs> watch this, of your consideration. I'll see myself out. <laughs> Pay attention to who you are. All right, before I read the verse here that this comes from, let me give you a cool little tidbit. This is gonna be a fun thing on trivia night for you to share with your friends. The uh, passage that we read today, the first command that we came to was verse 11 here. Wasn't just the first command in our passage. It's actually the first command in the entire book of Romans. Yeah, I double-checked that. The entire book of Romans. There has not been a single imperative that is a command telling you something to do until now, halfway through chapter six. Guys, I've been preaching in Romans for close to a year. There hasn't been a single imperative that entire time. That's wild. And when we finally do get to the first imperative in the entire book, what is it? <laughs> Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So for, for everybody that just thinks that Christianity is a bunch of rules, a bunch of do's and don'ts, it might serve them well to consider that in the book of Romans, this preeminent New Testament book, it takes six and a half chapters to finally get to a rule. And when it gets there, ultimately, the one rule it gives is think about what Christ has done for you and who you are in him. So from that, I give this last assistance to being who we are in Christ, and that is pay attention to who you are. I could have said know who you are, that would have been a little cleaner, less words, but pay attention is so much more active. Like you're, you're having to, to like consciously give your attention to this throughout your day. You're having to stare it down, you're eyeballing it, you're looking closely at who you are in Jesus Christ. Preach it to yourself. Preach it to each other. Have it as a little, uh, uh, a little placard on your bathroom mirror when you go to brush your teeth in the morning that says, I am dead to sin and alive to God through Jesus. Pay attention to who you are. And when you do that, just to use the metaphor we've kind of been coming back to all throughout the night. You know, when you do that, here's essentially what you're doing. You are looking around these opulent, luxurious, giant rooms you've been given in Jesus. You're saying, I don't have to sleep on the floor anymore. Look at this giant bed over here. It's really comfortable. Look at this weird little Victorian couch that I have. Don't know if I'll use it, but it looks really cool. Wow, look at all I've been given in Jesus. I'm not a prisoner anymore. I don't have to sleep on the floor. This is mine in Christ. So my call to you guys, be who you are in Jesus. Not your personality, your temperament or whatnot, no. Who you are in Christ. It's a redeemed child of God, dead to sin, alive to God. Do it by putting your passions in their place. Do it by being aware of what you are presenting yourself to, but most importantly of all, do it by paying attention to 
who you are in Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for who you've made us to be in Jesus, for breaking the power of sin and giving us the resurrection life in him. God, let us be people that live in that, that live out of it, that don't pretend that we're still under the dominion of sin, but we live like who we truly are, people that are in Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.